0: Well, the, this past week I was um, going through, you know, you know how they have those double doors? You'll have um, two sets of doors, a little foyer. And so so walking into this building and it had two sets of doors. And so uh, as I walked in, there was somebody behind me that was following me. And, you know, you hold the door open for people. Anybody hold the door open for people? Yeah, okay, a few of you. Uh, the rest of you, thank you for nothing. Um, uh, but, 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 you know, I was holding the door open for the person and they came in and they did what you do. Thank you very much. You know, thanks for opening, holding the door for me. And, and then we came to the second set of doors, and I did the same thing. And there's that awkward time where you don't know whether you have to say thank you again. A- anybody there with me? Anybody been there? You know, so I got the first was the thank you very much. The next one was a... <laughs> You know, but we've all kind of been in that situation where, 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 what do you do the the next time? And I think that reflects an attitude of what do I have to do? And, and we live a lot of our life in this: what do I have to do? Um, so, so you go to a restaurant this afternoon, and and you'll 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 pay a tip. Hopefully, you'll pay a you'll pay a tip. <laughs> you'll pay a tip. And you know, usually it's you know twenty percent. You know, and, and and you'll do the math, and and it's like Harold Green, you're probably to the penny, aren't you, on that tip? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I could just tell you were tracking with me there. But most of us are. Okay, so it's a $10 bill. It's $10 for dinner, so $2 is the tip, or $1.50, whatever, whatever your measure is. You know, we, we do that exact. What, what do I have to do? You know, when, when, you, when you pay your taxes, does anybody pay extra? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And that, that one's okay. That's spiritually right. I absolve you. Of not paying more on your taxes than you should. Uh, but, but that's kind of like life. What, what do I have to do at, uh, at work? You know, what do I have to do in school? Uh, the problem is sometimes that spills over into relationships. And, and, and the way we live our relationships is, what do I have to do? And, and when we're talking about the L word, the love word, it's important to understand that, that sometimes we can fall into this trap of just doing what we have to do as opposed to what we can do. And so we're, we're tracking through this idea of what is real love and. We, we talked about last week we talked about all the different you might see the ad on the Super Bowl uh, Sunday that had all the different kinds of love after we talked about it Sunday I thought I should have just played the video uh, the commercial and I wouldn't have had to preach last Sunday and then we could watch Super Bowl together but but uh, you know that we talked about the four types of love and, and but we're focusing on agape love this is the unconditional godlike love when we talk about real love when the Bible's talking about love in first Corinthians 13 and John 3:16 the the word is used is this agape, God-like love. And God calls us to love like God loves. And, and so as followers of Jesus, we are called to this unconditional, God-like love, this highest form of love. Now, not that these other friendship love and family love and, and romantic love don't matter, and I think those are important components of being human, but, but God's calling us as his followers to exhibit and demonstrate this God-like love. This real love. And real love focuses on what can I do, not what do I have to do. And so as we, as we track through this, we're going to be using the same story. We're, we're in the same passages as the kids are in. I, I don't think Mara's preaching the exact same message. But when you drive home with your kids in the car, you, you can ask, Hey, what do you think about the Good Samaritan? We're going to talk about the Good Samaritan. You can talk about this story, and they will have read this story. It, it's a good way for your kids to check your memory. And you to check your kid's memory. You can talk about this story on your way home, but we're re- tracking through the Good Samaritan, and it's in Luke chapter 12. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus said to him, the lawyer, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's stop right there. Now, now to understand this story, when, when the Bible uses lawyer here, don't think, and I, I'm going to date myself. Did, did anybody see that James West from the Wild Wild West died last night? Anybody see that? Anybody even know who I'm talking about? <laughs> Moment of silence for my hero from the 60s. We're not talking Perry Mason or Matlock or, or, you know, it's not this type of lawyer that we're talking about. Think more theologian. Uh, When we talk about a lawyer, this is somebody that was an expert in the Jewish law, the Torah. He, he He knew the biblical text, the Old Testament text, backwards and forwards. As a matter of fact, it would have been unusual for a guy like this to have memorized large chunks, if not almost all, of the Old Testament. And they came from different walks of life. So some of these guys were priests, some weren't, some were Levites, some weren't, and they began young. They, they became students of a rabbi or a teacher or a scribe or a lawyer. And they would go through years and years of training to get that title. Eventually, they would get this place where they'd be ordained, an ordained scribe, an ordained elder, an ordained rabbi, teacher. And they could render decisions based on the law. They were respected, and they had students, and they earned this respect, and they earned these students. Through a very long and difficult process. And we have Jesus with no training like this seemingly taking place. Jesus, the carpenter. And Jesus, the guy from Nazareth, where in the biblical record somebody says, Can anything good come from Nazareth? (laughs) And everybody's coming to him as rabbi and teacher. This unknown guy that didn't go through the process, that didn't pay his dues, people are coming to him and calling him teacher, rabbi. And so when this theologian uses this term with Jesus, particularly as we see how this story unfolds, it drips with sarcasm. Hey, teacher. You know, there's not really a lot of respect for Jesus in this question. It looks like respect, but what it mainly looks like is, I'm going to try to trip you up. I'm going to try to show to the crowds that you really don't know anything, and I'm going to twist your words, and you're in for an argument and a conversation that's going to put you in your place and send you back to Nazareth. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? (laughs) That's an interesting question. I I don't think when he asked this question, he thought Jesus was going to give him any insight. I think he already knew the answers or thought he knew the answers. And and I, I don't think he was truly seeking eternal life and asking Jesus this question. I think he was trying to prove himself. And he's trying to show that Jesus couldn't answer. The truth is, though, most could have answered this question. That the, the answer to this question was not unusual. This is not just a New Testament concept. This was deeply rooted within the, uh, the Old Testament. It was clearly in the law. And I think it's kind of funny that Jesus just says, "What are you? what's the law say to you? And I think the scribe, the lawyer, demonstrates that temptation within all of us although I think when he first asked the question he was hoping Jesus would follow over himself when Jesus extended the question back to him he couldn't help but answer anybody ever been like that anybody watch Jeopardy and like at 5.30 and then watch a rerun at 6 and answer all the questions to show how smart you are <laughs> and so he answers the question love God love others And Jesus accepts that answer. It's right. And then this lawyer, there's a fundamental thing in trial practice. You never ask a question. You don't know what the answer is going to be. Or or at least you've had depositions or there's written statements and there's opportunities for for some weird answer for you to impeach, not like, you know, but to... To show that they said something different earlier. Sorry, I used that language today. Too soon. (laughs) Everybody's awkward now. But you don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. And he asks a question. And I think I don't know. I don't know how you read these stories. Almost, almost see the question like this. Oh well, who's my neighbor? Oh, yeah, okay, I answered it, and you said I answered it right, but who is my neighbor? I'm not thinking Jesus is going to do anything with it. In my mind, I think Jesus smiled when he asked that question. I think that's where Jesus wanted to go. Jesus wanted to get to to the issue, and I think the scribe, the lawyer, asked that question, and and I could just see a smile come to Jesus' face because he was going to get to the real issue that the, the, the lawyer was getting to. See, the lawyer lived in, what do I have to do? And God's call was to live in, what can I do? and jesus was going to tell a little story and next month our our series are going to be all little stories and these little stories you can find big truths and you know we're gonna look at a bunch of parables of jesus next month and i'm excited about that but but with a little story jesus contradicts expands changes this scribes this lawyer's perspective See, see his perspective is, how can I scrape by and make it into heaven? (laughs) That's the wrong question, folks. The, The wrong question is not, what do I have to do? But how can I live in a way that's natural and consistent with how God lives and moves so that when I make it to heaven, heaven will be natural, not unnatural, and the invitation is not to scrape by, but to, to sprint in. The question's not who can I exclude, but who can I include? You know, in our culture, it's what prayer do I have to say? How much tithe do I have to give? What, what doctrine, what set of beliefs do I have to have what kind of church membership? Is it a special church membership? How much do I have to serve? If I do one Saturday a month, is that enough? God invites us to go all in and not just barely make it into heaven. That, that's your invitation. God's invitation is not, hey, let me, l- let's me let scrape by so that, that, that you barely make it in. But God's invitation is just to give Him all. Are all and go all in and just live full out for Him, and then Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, and and this this phrase Good Samaritan it, it's interesting that this phrase is so uh, so such an important part in our culture. You know, you could you could use this phrase. Somebody could never read the Bible, and you can say, "Oh well," somebody had a flat tire, and I stopped, and I was a Good Samaritan, and they'd understand exactly what you meant. You know, you, you go to hospitals that are called Good Samaritan hospitals. You know, there's, there's laws in our system, Good Samaritan laws that protect people that stop and help. And so this phrase that Jesus uses becomes a phrase that's rich in our culture. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now now the road that Jesus is referring to is a dangerous road. As as a matter of fact, some would refer to it as the way of blood. And robbers would lie in wait. They would hide and wait for a traveler because they assumed the traveler would have some money. And they would do just what they did to this man and take all his resources. And so this isn't an uncommon... Jesus isn't talking about something that's uncommon. This, this would have been something common to see. By chance, a priest was going down on that road, and we saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levi also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, uh, t- to me... When I read Jesus, I, I think Jesus is hilarious. I, I think he tells stories, and I, I think there's really funny elements in the stories of Jesus. I mean, I, I know we hear it with like pipe organs, Ooh! but I think there's people giggling in the audience. Because C- Jesus is talking about priests and Levites, and probably this lawyer's face turned a little bit red, because he may have fit in one of those categories, I mean, Jesus was like saying, hey, and you walked right by him. <laughs> the priests were the ones who were the mediators between God and the people. And, and the Levites were, were the, the laymen and are the people that worked in the, in the temple to make sure everything was okay. And they passed by. They cross the street not to get too close to this guy. In that crowd... In this crowd, in our world, uh, there's a lot of people, right or wrong, that feel like the religious system has passed them right by. That they've been broken and hurt and the church has just went right by. And so when Jesus said this, these crowds that we're resonating with him, were're drawn to him. They resonated with people that were charged with caring for them, that they didn't feel like they cared for him at all. And this parable reflects that. So the question is, why did they pass by? And you know I wrote that in my notes, but I think the better question is, when we're, when we're reading this parable, well, let's not just look at them, let's look at ourselves. <laughs> why would you pass by? Why would I pass by? Why, why do we pass by people in circumstances just like this at times? Yeah, I think they were busy. Anybody here busy? Yeah? I think they were busy. They had, they had places to be. Uh, you know, I, the, the priest had to get to the temple, and the, the Levite had jobs there. They had families. They, you know, they they, they were working a lot of hours. So, so legitimately, they, they they were busy, and I think they were really busy. I don't think it was fake busy. Are you really busy or fake busy? Right? Yeah, they're like you. So, legitimately, they could say, okay, well, I've got this to do, and someone else will take care of it. Maybe they thought it was too late. They looked at him, and he was bloody, and he was naked, and he was bleeding, and, and uh, they thought, well, he's probably already dead. You know, this isn't a, what can I do? This guy's already dead. As a matter of fact, for the pre, if this guy was already dead, this would just add hardship on their life because it would make them unclean to do anything in the temple. So, so they couldn't even do their job. If I, if I go over and help this guy, and he's dead, that's going to be two weeks I'm out however long. Two weeks just sounds good. I don't know if that's right. Somebody can look that up and tell me later. I'm going to be out for a while. Maybe fear. Could, could, could the robbers still be close? You know, maybe they're still behind those rocks, and, and this is just a ploy, and if they could get me over there, they're going to rob me. Hopefully they didn't think this, but they could have. I... I've thought things like this was his own stupid fault. Anybody else ever think that? Just me? Okay, make me feel guilty. That's Should have been more careful. I mean, when you live like that and you walk in these places, this is what happens to you. Maybe the priest saw the Levite and thought, well, there's the Levite behind me. He'll take care of him. And the problem is, Levi saw the priest. Sounds like a joke, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Levite saw the priest, and so well, if he doesn't help him, why should I help him? <laughs> you know, leadership leads, by the way. P- people watch what we do. And, and so neither of them stopped. I think all these things are marked by indifference. Indifference is antithetical to love, to real love. It's contrary to real love. Hatred is contrary to real love, but indifference is contrary to real love too. And in this, in our setting, probably most of you don't have people that you hate. I don't have a lot of people that I hate. But can I be honest enough to say there's times I practice indifference and I justify indifference with my schedule? Most of the time, We resist real love, not through hate, but through indifference. But a Samaritan, (laughs) who was on a journey, he was busy too, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Saw him. Real love begins with seeing, really seeing. Well, what, what did the priest and the Levite see? They, they saw danger. They saw inconvenience. They saw someone else's problem. But the Samaritan really seen leads to compassion. You know, interesting, this is the same phrase that the biblical text used with reference to Jesus when he sees a crowd. Jesus sees the crowds, and he's moved with compassion. And it's, it's this gut-wrenching movement of compassion. You ever have something happen to you that you feel it in here? You know, you're feeling for somebody else. So it hurts. You hurt so bad for somebody else, you feel it in your gut. That's the kind of compassion. It's a compassion that's gut-wrenching, and it moved them. <laughs> Yeah, I think the priest and the Levite saw him. Otherwise, they wouldn't have went to the other side of the street. Can can I go back to something earlier that I said? I I believe probably in this there there is a sense that both the priest and the Levite could have thought it was his own fault. He shouldn't have been here, right? What's ridiculous is they were in the same location. But isn't it true that sometimes we will justify someone else's bad luck and, and, and support it by the fact that we've got good luck. Can I give you a phrase, a good Samaritan perspective? And, and put it up on the screen. I think it's the next one. I think it's the next one. There. That, that's a little phrase that I think all of us should learn. Can we say that to get together? There but for the grace of God go I. You know, I think that's the perspective of the Samaritan, that the Samaritan saw the wounded, bleeding man on the side of the road, and he goes, oh, there but for the grace of God goes I. And the truth is that oftentimes we think we're immune to these things, that we're beyond these things, but folks, we live in a world where the bad can happen to all of us. And I hope when bad things happen to me... (laughs) I have a Samaritan passing by and not a religious person that's indifferent to my difficulties. And the Samaritan came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. So we've talked about really seeing, and we've talked about real compassion, and real love moves us to action. Cost him something. He he pays of his resources. He he pays in the present, and there's this future resource that he's going to give up. He gives away time, there's risk. He gives him two denarii. Two denarii is in essence, a denarii was in essence a day's wages. I did some calculation. I, the average wage in Columbus, Ohio is I believe right around $50,000 a year. So that means that in, in Columbus area, average people average about $133 a day. So, so this is about, imagine that you gave $250. So I want everybody to take $250 out. No, we're, that, that would have been a slick offering, wouldn't it, there? $250. Can, can we all acknowledge that $250 is not, a, is not chump change? <laughs> I don't think I've ever used that phrase before, but it's kind of a cool phrase. It's not a little bit, but it's not, it's not going to break the bank, Right? I, I, he's not mortgaging his future. And so when we talk about this, I think sometimes we get this idea that real love looks at what it can do with as, as if there's no limits to that, that we just have to give everything. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, what it says, you can give everything, but if you don't have real love. So I think real love is this practical, it, it costs something, but I don't think God's calling us to give everything. Does that make any sense? There's a cost here. There's a price. It's significant, but there's still boundaries in the Samaritan's life. He's not saying, hey, take everything I have and give it to this man. But he's paying a cost to carry. See, enabling behavior is not love. Love is not meant to tear down. Real love builds up both the giver and the recipient. Real love is is, is relational. And so if in a real love circumstance, you are being completely depleted and torn down, I would challenge whether that's real love and not enabling. And see, I think that's the balance that we've got to see here. That God calls us to a love that builds a relationship up between you and that person without depleting your personhood. Jesus says, Which of these three do you think would be a good neighbor, would prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said, Go and do the same. (laughs) Go and do the same. You know, last series in in December we preached out of Micah, and and the phrase and i Amy talked about let justice roll and I, I still can't get over the phrase do justice produce justice I got to tell you it, it's still it's still tearing me up I don't want to talk about justice more than produce justice and I don't want to talk about love more than do love. <laughs> You know, I don't want to be a people who love, 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 and then go home and just sit on my chair. Uh, that was that was a good save there. Sit on my chair and and not do anything that shows real love. Real love focuses on what I can do, <laughs> and everyone in this room has opportunities today and this week to show real love. It's more than just. But, but when you see this this ideal focus, it's, it's more than just a focus or a thought. It's more than just a doctrine, but it's an action. Um, Bob Goff has a book called Love Does, Discovering a Secretly Incredible Life in an Ordinary World. And I, I got to tell you, it's a simple read, and it, it may... It, I don't think, Sarah, I know I saw a post from you where you read that not too long ago or a couple years. It's worth reading, isn't it? And if you've never, it's a simple read and just talking about the concept of love. Simple wisdom. Great, great little quotes. I, I was looking at it as I prepared for this message, and there's a quote in the book that says this, I used to be afraid of filling at something that really mattered to me. But now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Don't we succeed at more stuff that doesn't matter than succeed at things that do matter? And the theme of the book is this. Simply put, love does. Love is an action, not a doctrine. Love is not a a way of thinking. It's not an emotion. Love is something that is tangible and real and it moves in the lives of others. Real love does what it can to meet the needs of others. See, God does not call us to, to talk about love, to think about love, to prefer the love, but these words of Jesus are the words to us. Go, and do the same. So the call is simple. Really see. Be, really see. Take, take the time. Not to be so preoccupied or so busy that you can't see. To, to, to be moved. To be willing to pay the cost. To not, to not be indifferent. To walk with people, not by people. you say it with me? Walk with people, not by people. I think I've shared this story, and this, this is in closing. And all God's people said amen. Uh, it's probably been 10 years ago, and we were, I was in the front yard, I was in actually still in Butler County, and I was in front of the house mowing or something, and some little girl come walking down our street. <laughs> And Milliken was a pretty, Josh, you know what, Milliken, is, a pretty busy road, 45 miles an hour road, and, and, and she, you know, I don't know, the older you get, the harder it is to gauge how old somebody is, right? You know, I couldn't tell if she was 3 or 23, and, uh, you know, I, I actually, I knew she was a child, but, you, you know, whether it was a child that should be walking down Milliken, I wouldn't have let my child at that age walk down Milliken, but, you know, and, and it's a little girl, and so, you know, I, I really didn't feel real comfortable approaching strange little girls from my front yard. Uh, that can be seen as odd, too. And so I went and got Terry, and, and so Terry came out, and we weren't even able to get telephones, cell phones to each other. We had cell phones, but, but, I mean, the little girl was about, you know, half a block down the street, and so Terry chased her down and just walked with her. And, uh, and so Terry just walked with her. And uh, about five minutes later, some frantic mother come running down the street looking for this little girl. And, uh, you know, she, and, and so Terry, you know, they, you know, they never said anything to us. I ne- we never heard from him again, but Terry just walked with this little girl as she walked through the neighborhoods. And, and the story was that she wanted to go to a birthday party. I don't know, she must have been five or six. She wanted to go to a birthday party, and Mom and Dad said no, and she decided she would just go on her own. And so Terry just walked with her. You know, it didn't feel like she could grab her or do anything, but she just walked with her to make sure she was safe. And eventually mom and dad came by and found her in a car and got her home, and Terry was able to find her way home, too. And uh, as I think about that, I think that is the nature of love. The, 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 the nature in love is not to compel and to drag people to your point of view, to your lifestyle necessarily, but the point of love is to be inconvenienced enough to walk with people and not by people, to, to, to pay a price that you don't have to pay, to, to not give everything away, but to be there and make a difference.